Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How's it going? Happy Easter. Happy Ramadan. Happy Passover. <laughs> Can I say happy to all of those Happy Vaisakhi. It is like the holiest of weekends, Nora. I hope you're going to turn down your cursing. <laughs> um, Nora, you, you, you might want to consider swearing a little less. I will make a joyful sound. Uh, I think that's the best I can promise. I will make a joyful sound unto the Lord <laughs> in my righteous swearing. <laughs> I mean, this is the episode where we're going to be talking about Pierre Poilier. <laughs> well, so I think it, I think it's going to be hard. And you know what I did last night, Sandy? What did you do last night, Nora? I watched Jesus Christ Superstar. So true to no, I knew I could have guessed that. You should have given me some guesses because I would have <laughs> guessed that. Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, um, it was great. And the thing I love the most about the full moon in April, which a lot of these um, events, of course, are related to the lunar calendar. It's the real turning point between now and when things start to warm up. So. I mean, for those of us who still have seasons and don't live in Los Angeles, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's going to be good from here. Celebration. Welcome to summer. Welcome to spring. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to, to I don't know what's going on. I, I'm the one who lives in Los Angeles. It's all the same to me. <laughs> okay, before we get into the episode, before we even get into the thank yous, we want to remind you right off the top that we are having an event on Saturday. This Saturday, this Saturday coming up, that is the 23rd of April. I can't believe it's already April 23rd. God damn, this pandemic timeline is ridiculous. But on April 23rd, we are having an event. It is going to be an event where we talk about anti-war organizing and not just talk about it. We're going to talk about doing some anti-war organizing and hopefully help those of you who may have been thinking to yourselves, what can I do at home, from my location, in my community to support anti-war initiatives? Well, we're going to have an event. We have some invited guests who will be talking about their experiences doing anti-war organizing, and we'll have some helpful tools that you can use to do some organizing in your community. So please show up to that. We will have some information in the show notes for you as to how you can register because it will be virtual, obviously. And it will start at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern as our events that are virtual often do. <laughs> Nora, is there anything else to add there? Just so people can get a bit of a flavor of what the kind of conversation is going to be like, we are going to be talking about the state of imperialism today and how the U.S., its allies and NATOs have contributed to the current crisis. But also, what are the prospects for an anti-war movement to emerge? I know that a lot of people are feeling very helpless uh, right now about how to even express an anti-war sentiment without being accused of uh, supporting Russia in this um, in this mess, which is so ridiculous because Russia is the aggressor. If you're anti-war, you're primarily anti-Russia, folks. Um, and 
we're also going to be making a link between uh, anti-war struggles and national liberation struggles, which, of course, is quite fitting for this event. And so um, we've got speakers that will be talking about Palestine, Afghanistan, Tamil Elam. It's going to be great. So Saturday night, 5.30 Pacific time, 8.30 Eastern time, all the other time zones, you're gonna have to do the math. And uh, we'll see you hopefully there. We'll see you there. Okay. And now anyone to thank? We have a, a very short list of people to thank this week. Thank you so, so much to everybody that was shared last week's episode. Actually, last week's episode got a lot of shares, a lot of comments, a lot of feedback. Thank you all for that. Um, the one request, can we talk about the federal child care agreement? Thank you for that. We'll put that into our episode pocket list uh, to come back to because um, we agree that's probably a topic that we'll have to uh, look at in the, in the next couple of weeks, um, especially as uh, you know Ontario goes to the polls and, and child care is going to be played probably pretty central in that. But uh, for the folks who changed their donation uh, or donated for the first time, especially this week, we have to say thank you so, so much to Jennifer and Scott. Thank you both. We really, really appreciate the support. Thank you. And before we get into the topic for the day, I just want to say um, I know that COVID is probably on the minds of many of you as it is uh, on our minds as well. And watching the case count numbers, it's very, very frustrating and it feels kind of useless because, (laughs) I mean, is any agency even collecting accurate numbers or trying to collect accurate numbers at this point? No. And so the the number well maybe it, Nora might be an agency unto herself but um, <laughs> you know <laughs> it just it feels uh, more pathetic than ever the way that our governments are engaging with this crisis that is still a crisis I mean there's there there has got to be a medium between listen to everything the governments say when they are taking away. Uh, um, all of your rights and not coming up with a plan. And let's just ignore this whole thing. There's got to be something in the middle <laughs> that mm-hmm. makes sense. And it just seems really fucking pathetic um, that uh, one, that 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 reasonable place has not yet been found. And two, that there doesn't seem to be much consequence for it, at least not yet. Um, and by consequence, I mean, we are suffering the consequence as, as people um, living through this. But I mean, consequence for the people in power who are shirking their responsibilities um, in, in dealing with this properly. Yeah, well, I think it's really important to understand what's happening here. This is not a pandemic management story that has anything to do with keeping people safe keeping people healthy, giving people the resources they need and helping them get past the the current moment. The pandemic management strategy that has been chosen by every single government in this country and the federal government has been one that 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 looks at the balance sheet of hospital capacity and says, "Okay, we can hit X before we have a crisis." Uh, when we hit Y, we're going to have to take different kinds of action. And as long as X and Y are not coming into the discussion because 
you know, the, 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 the variants have decoupled from how many people end up in hospital. So there's, there can be 10 times the number of people that got COVID now um, and not result in the same number of people entering in the hospitals in, in terms of a ratio. Uh, that has meant that for most governments in Canada, with the exception of one, or maybe maybe I shouldn't be so so specific because maybe there's a government that I'm not thinking of, but for most governments, that has meant that they don't see a need to keep in place any public health measures. And it's all because hospitals can handle it. I mean, not the human resources in hospitals, because we know that nurses are being called back to work even when they're still testing positive. Um, and of course, there's tons of tons of scheduling problems and and overloaded healthcare workers. But the bed count, the ICU count, the ventilator count, that's all where the politicians want it to be. And I think it's scandalous that like Quebec is one of the few provinces or the only province that still has a mask mandate in place. And even with the mask mandate, of course, COVID still 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 travels because it's going to travel within households. It's going to travel within private gatherings, which are all permitted or whatever. And I mean, workplaces, there's almost nothing to, to keep workers safe. But just the, the small, like reminding people to wear masks, it's like the most basic thing that you could be doing. And again, the, the, the math shows that the hospital system is not going to collapse if some obscene number of people gets COVID and then the, the subsequent number of people who, who will end up in hospital. So that's the brass tacks. People need to keep that in mind. When will there be consequences? Will there be consequences? Again, we can't be passive. We have to actively ensure that people understand what's happening and start organizing such that there are consequences. Is Doug Ford going to lose the next election? No. But does he have a whole life ahead of him where he can feel consequences for this? Yes, he does. And actually, I mean, it might be very sweet, but Jason Kenney might be the first provincial premier to really have his ass handed to him for how the pandemic was managed. And I mean, and other reasons as well. But that will be pretty fucking sweet if it happens. And there's there's a swear right there. All right. And <laughs> I mean, that is a good place uh, to, to take us into another conservative world, a federal conservative world, the federal conservative mm-hmm. leadership race, where our buddy Pierre... Our, our bestest buddy, Pierre, the guy who I think it was the Beaverton who published a story that says that he is the guy who reminds you of that annoying guy in all of your political science classes. For those of you who are in social <laughs> sciences. Um, yeah, I think that's accurate. Uh, he is the annoying guy who is in the political science classes uh, who wouldn't shut up and thought he was smarter than everybody else. But maybe he is. What do you think, Nora? Oh, oh, he was absolutely that guy. He was a piece of shit campus Tory out in, uh, I think, the University of Calgary, if I'm not wrong. And he went directly from being a piece of shit campus conservative to, like, getting elected in the Ottawa Valley. So, yes, that's who Pierre Polyev is. And um, fuck him. And I do have to just just say, like, his name, Polyev, is two words uh, that means... Uh, <laughs> furry rabbit. So, what, wait. And you throw Pierre that into real? that as well. You got rock, <laughs> rock, furry rabbit. Yeah. I mean, Poiliev, I mean, doesn't really work together. But if you take the two words separately and then his first name as well, you got rock, furry rabbit. I love it. Are they, <laughs> I, you know what? I don't really have much else to say about that than that fits. Yeah. Although, you know what? It actually might play to his base because... 
Who doesn't like a furry rabbit? Sure. Anyway, that's a little bit of French information for you all. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to call call him uh, by the way that the name is actually pronounced because that's not how he has pronounced his name uh, for his entire life. So Polly Ever, uh, Pierre, Polly Ever, this fucking um, joke uh, seems to be the kind of joke that you can't keep laughing off, that there's a little bit of truth to the joke. And you're like, oh, 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 maybe the house is on fire. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, let's take a look at what he's what like. I mean, there's been a lot of news this week about how he is attracting these large, large crowds of people. And I think it's important to just take a look at what it is that his campaign is platforming in order to. Uh, try to inspire people to support him. He is saying uh, more Canadian paychecks. Nice. Paychecks. Yeah. Uh, Yep. Like, literally, that's what it says on his website. It says, we need to unleash the fierce power of the Canadian (laughs) workforce and bring our economy roaring back under the title of more Canadian paychecks. Reclaim Canadian (laughs) values. It's important to restore dignity and honor back to the Canadian people and let them live their lives according to their values. Oh, dog whistle. Honor. Okay. <laughs> Stop just inflation. Do you see what he did there? Oh, the yeah. Justin and that's, Trudeau. It's, I got it. That's fucking clever. It's good that he did that. Just inflation. That's not bad. It's, it's just inflation. Yeah. The more Justin Trudeau spends, the more you pay. There's a mass transfer of wealth taking place from the hands of the working class Canadians. See that? See what he did there? From the hands so of that's working true. class that's Canadians true. into the bank accounts of the wealthy elite. This is continuing this sort of thing that we saw um, uh, in the last uh, federal election of conservatives really trying to play to uh, a traditional base of the left, which is, you know, the working class. And then uh, mm-hmm. fire the gatekeepers. Fire, fire the gatekeepers. It says it <laughs> twice. That is why okay. I hesitated because it actually no. does say it twice on the website. So I'm, I'm not. I'm not just. No, yeah, no, okay. no, 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 no. So no. fire the gatekeepers. Unleash the innovation, production, and progress, and unbridle the spectacular potential of the Canadian people. Spectacular. Oh my God! Come on. Unbridled. That's so fucking unbridled. unbridled that that is that's where you see the privileged people who are writing the equestrians. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. I mean, does he does he take aim at the at bridge toll keepers or um, wizards that like are you know that you have to come across to get like it just seems very like mythical. There's still time. Right. Right. Right, 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 right. Okay, so that seems like I mean, I'm I'm all for him. That's fucking that's all sounds great. Like now I'm now I'm a fan. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Are you Here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, what is happening that we really need to pay attention to is that yeah, he's doing he is playing from the new conservative playbook, which is um, you know, and by new I mean not that new. It's like the, you know, the Tea Party Donald Trump uh, sort of playbook, this new political world that we're in, where you kind of break away from this kind of 
gross, ugly way that uh, certainly the liberals and the NDP uh, tend to interact in uh, federal politics in Canada, which is whenever a question is asked or when we're talking about an issue, it seems like they're talking around the issue Mm. and not talking directly about the issue. It's almost like, I don't know, fodder for this entire podcast that Nora and I do, (laughs) which is like, (laughs) why the fuck won't you deal with the actual thing? Well... Pierre is offering a type of politic where he's saying, you know, fuck that. I'm not going to act like a politician and I'm going to try to deal with the actual thing. And that I think we know does actually appeal to people and inspire people to support. I mean, it is a version of what we were seeing with some of the um, the convoy Uh, stuff that we saw going on before. Like there are real issues that people were dealing with as a result of the pandemic and the lockdowns and how that was harming them in their bottom lines and at home. And nobody was really, nobody was really focusing on addressing those issues, either from a social movement perspective or from politicians. And then came this kind of convoy and Maxime Bernier um, talking Uh, as the only politician to really uh, talk directly about the issue and make some sense. Yeah. And so, and that's, you've just raised a whole bunch of different things that um, we will get to, I think in this episode, Mm -hmm. first of all, the success of his events, I think is one thing that we have to pay very close attention to. He's getting massive numbers out. And I mean, yeah, they're all like totally COVID super spreaders and hopefully everybody does walk away from these events with COVID because fuck them. But that is a really important thing to be paying attention to. Where else are we seeing these kinds of numbers? Literally nowhere. I mean, you can get these kinds of numbers out for an issue. Sometimes if you're organized, you can get these kinds of numbers out for people in the streets. But to see a fucking politician as stuffy and fucking fake as Pierre Polyev very, very interesting, um, which is the thing to, hap- to to watch. Very interesting thing happening there. Um, what's a big question mark is, does he have a path to victory? Because the Conservative Party, they vote, they have a weighted riding per riding um, system to make sure that the person who wins has like distributed support all across Canada. And so if he has tons and tons of supporters in one riding, it's not necessarily going to translate into winning this leadership race. But I mean, fuck, I, he it's like there's a lot of fucking people. So he certainly is the front runner um, right now. The, the, the composition of the folks in the room, uh, pretty, pretty fucking white, <laughs> which is not surprising, uh, but very, very white, very male. And um, it is certainly this expression of the the anti-authoritarian trucker kind of sentiment that we've seen. And um, and I think that it's it's just so easy to dismiss because like, well, fuck, I mean, I mean, all of us have probably dismissed this kind of thing a hundred times in the last year. <laughs> but I think we do so at our peril because he is demonstrating that people are are desperate and they're hungry for something. And I don't know how he's like 
seemingly authentic. He's not being authentic. He's a fucking this this piece of shit has had a fucking government pension since he's 29. He's never had a real job. He's a fucking hack, like a supreme motherfucking hack. But so is Stephen Harper. And so it's very interesting to me that he still has a bit of a, an air of authenticity to him. But what's really interesting is that it might not matter. Like this, like whether or not he wins isn't the issue. It's what what kind of conservative party comes out the other end of this campaign? Not just what kind of conservative party, but what kind of conservative uh, like movement comes out the other right, end? Because yeah. even if he loses, even if you know doing the math of how the Conservative Party chooses their leader. And if he can't win, even with all of the support that he has, he could still do what Maxime Bernier did and probably do it far more effectively. And that has worked in the past for conservative movements in Canada. I mean, whether we're talking about the Reform Party, the Canadian Alliance, there's like a history of these kind of breakaway groups that are more right Uh, more right wing than the more popular, more established party that end up pulling that more popular, more established party farther to the right. Um, And, you know, the the history of this stuff in Canada is that they they tend to um, to consolidate at some point. But I mean, whether or not that that happens is beyond the point. If it strengthens um, conservatism and like white supremacy in Canada, that is a major, major issue. Yes. And I think that the the, the big difference between him and Bernier is that Polyever is a fucking establishment guy. Like he, he's not leaving the Conservative Party under any circumstance. He's biding his time. He's going to support. I mean, he, he himself obviously is, is, is seeking to lead the party. But if someone else were to win, this guy's not taking his ball and going home. He's playing the long game. Uh, and he knows how to play this game because he's been in in Parliament for so fucking long. Like the guy grew up in the halls of the House of Commons. And so like this is something that people need to be, I think, very concerned about. Like it, it, regard, like I imagine he's like going to win. It looks like he's probably going to win, certainly from where we're sitting right now. Um, but even if he doesn't win, his power is in organizing this movement of people within the Conservative Party, and that will give him an incredible amount of leverage over the person that wins if it isn't him. Now, there's interesting factors outside of the control of the Conservative Party that will keep him or that party in general out of power federally, um, which we can talk about um, in a bit. But like the pressure that his campaign is going to put on red Tories within that party will be very interesting and if Christian Freeland's blue fucking dress and conservative budget from a, from a couple of weeks ago is any indication, the liberals likely think that they're going to be able to pick off people that would call themselves red Tories easier than uh, trying to put forward some sort of progressive vision of Canada where they're trying to pick off supporters from the left because they don't even need to because the fucking NDP handed them the keys to their car. <laughs> so I'm I'm really, really interested in, in seeing how this plays out like polyever is creating a fucking massive block of people behind very specific demands that um regardless of what happens in this campaign will start to become part more and more part of the dna of that party and even if he fails in the next couple of months or in the next year and a half 
I it seems like he's really setting himself up for a fucking very sweet victory in a longer term if that doesn't come in the short term. I I'm really interested in the in your um insistence that he would never take his ball and and go home. Oh yeah, I, you think he might? Yeah, I think he might. I think he might. I think that this is I think that that is the leverage that he holds in fact is the control that he will have over a um, significant population of the conservative base uh, to to try to force some things to change in the conservative party. And if he loses that battle, which he could, uh, then I think that the that why wouldn't he take his ball and uh, play somewhere else and create another party uh, that could have really big uh, influence over what happens generally in Canadian politics. Why wouldn't he do that? I think that that's a, a total possibility. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think so, because he's so embedded in the party in a way that Bernier never was. And I think that Paul Ever, like, he's a disciple of Stephen Harper. He knows how to run that party and balance the social forces in such a way that will keep the big tent kind of feeling alive. But the way he's maneuvering right now and building this this movement demonstrates that he understands that this is a fight for the hearts and minds of the people's people in that party who are members of that party. And I don't see any indication that that he would have more ability to influence the conservative party from the outside than from the inside. I mean, he's already arguably was 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 part of the group that took down Aaron O'Toole. And as you know, new leaders rise and fall and this push in, inside the party from the from the hard fucking libertarian right continues. I think that he's just building himself a machine that will be very ready for him to be leader, uh, whether whether like sooner or later. Well, I, I mean, th- th- that's all interesting and all very speculative uh, from both of us because it's like way down the line. <laughs> but yeah. I do think that like at the end of the day, I think that his uh, I mean, perhaps you have a better read on. Um, whether he's his uh, his his loyalties are to conservative causes or the conservative party, I have a feeling that uh, conservative causes and the support that he can garner from um, uh, this sort of base that he's whipping up and and new people that he's trying to bring into the base, including you know some of uh, what people would assume are NDP voters. Uh, I I think that that's probably more important to him. But uh, I suppose we'll see if we get to see. I mean, if he wins, uh, none of this conversation really matters. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if he doesn't, it'll be interesting to see what he does with what he's with the organizing mm-hmm. um, that has happened within the party and without. Well, w- one of the things that I'm so fascinated by is the distance between his rhetoric and what he's actually planning to do or promising to do. And so I don't know if you saw this past week, uh, he was in front of a multi-million dollar bungalow that was like falling down in Vancouver and was talking about like back of the back of the Soviet math uh, on how much a developer would make by replacing this bungalow with um, more dense uh, condos or something like this. And so the video is like fine and, and normal. And, and a lot of people are like, yeah, fucking it's like, the, you know, that's bullshit. Real estate prices are completely bullshit. And it's like, yes, they are totally bullshit. And, and this is how he he talks about it on Twitter. 
The gatekeepers separate the landed aristocracy from a new permanent tenant class. This is the single biggest cause of the wealth gap. We must remove the gatekeepers, stop printing money, start building houses. Okay, so this is like a fucking riddle. Sandy, what do you think his big promises, having heard that fucking incantation of a tweet, of a, of a housing analysis? I don't know, the same as Trudeau's, build more houses. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, well, I mean, he just wants to get rid of zoning uh, in cities so that people can build houses anywhere. Huh? Yeah. Dezoning, um, making, getting rid of red tape at the municipal level and just massively increasing the supply of houses. So it's like, sorry, what the, what gatekeepers get removed in your fucking housing plan, Pierre? Like, what fucking, stop printing money? Like, you're going to get us into a monetary policy fucking discussion as if, like, printing money is the reason that real estate housing is, like, the real estate prices have gone so high and it's not, like, the massive fucking capitalist speculation on people's lives? Like, okay, the gatekeepers separate the landed aristocracy from a new permanent tenant class and uh, the revolution will be to cut down red tape at City Hall. Like, are you are you fucking kidding me, Polly Ever? But somehow, like the distance between the promise and the fucking rhetoric is really huge. There's a fucking chasm between that. I mean, but yeah, like this is Trumpism. Is it not like that is exactly the same sort of shit like the, th- the, the rhetoric, the way that the re- rhetoric will come down if he's elected is that people who are uh, indigenous, black migrants and so on are going to feel the brunt of the reality of this rhetoric, like the, the sort of um, dog whistle politics, that stuff he's going to be completely honest about and we will and will totally fuck those communities. The but for when it comes to this other stuff like housing of course he's going to support the wealthy Mm -hmm. and the elite that is what conservatives fucking do (laughs) is that is how conservatives uh run when they are elected and so that is i mean that is no surprise um it should be something that we are able to pull apart though it should be something that the news is pulling apart Mm mm-hmm Yeah, it's pretty impressive, actually. If you go to his Twitter account, it's just like, holy fuck. Like, here's another one. The gatekeepers who get richer by making others poorer are desperate to stop me. I will open the gates of opportunity for all by making Canada the world's freest country. Uh, I mean, I guess he's putting the C-U-N-T in country. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say that? I get called that word so often that I feel like I can just say that. (laughs) Oh, God. I wonder who is writing this stuff. Do you think it's him writing it himself? He very much thinks he's a freedom fighter. And if you listen to him talk, uh, like the the revelatory, revelations-esque for folks who've read the Bible, the, the New Testament in the Bible, uh, the revelations-esque tone of the way he, he talks is, 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 I think, probably him. I mean, I think he probably thinks that he's a savior of some, some kind. Um, and he's a religious guy. And so... Um, like I, I wrote an article about the this this leadership race, and when he was talking to McLean's about Justin Trudeau, it was he sounded like he was literally quoting like John from Revelations, like talking about the ugly faces of of Justin Trudeau, and I, I feel like he even slipped in forked tongue or something in there. 
Um, and so I think he is talking uh, very uh, directly. And I think he's probably got a whole group of people around him that talk like him and that think like him. Um, but what's so interesting is it's like there's just no interest in trying to 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 disentangle what he what this like this this freedom stuff is right like like freedom in freedom in his fucking world is literally freedom for capital to, capital to fuck everybody as fucking much they want which is so like in complete direct contrast with the way that he's talking about his campaign and the problem of course is that like he he poses a threat to some kind of like the 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 big L liberal status quo because he's a conservative politician. But at the end of the day, capital is not threatened by Pierre Polyever. In fact, capital would be very fucking happy to have someone like him in power. And so, I like that then like leaves who to 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 actually deconstruct what's happening here it tends to fall to the liberals which then just gets and, and some journalists which then laughs it off as being ridiculous or over the top or he's got no chance or whatever but like we have seen this 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 show play out in the united states and while i think donald trump has a lot more going for him than Polly ever like you know status on tv and does actually kind of have the ability to make a joke like i don't think Polly ever's made a joke in his fucking life um, it does seem like there's a train barreling towards us and people are not like going, hey, maybe we should try and stop this train. Well, and if not stop the train, at least fucking try to address it. <laughs> um, and let's <laughs> pretend in this, uh, you know, now that I'm speaking about it, it's the train is not Poilier. I, I find it very difficult not to say Poilier. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, it's because that's what it says. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the way it's fucking written. I'm just going to call him Peter. Um, <laughs> let's pretend that the train is not Poilier. Let's pretend that the train is uh, the the terrible situation that a lot of people are going to find themselves in or are already finding themselves in as a result of these last two, three very terrible years. Um, uh, The reason why he becomes popular is because he speaks in a way that is addressing um, those very real concerns that people have. Uh, And no one else is really doing that. (laughs) No one else is really doing that. And I think that there is a lot of lessons here for those of us on the left to engage in electoral politics, it's like there needs to be a party at the federal level, at all levels, that directly speaks to the terrible shit that people are experiencing right now and not in a way that is trying to garner more liberal votes or trying to play it safe but in a way that is real. And if the way like that a, a left-wing politician should be talking about this should be not in a way where the rhetoric is far, far, far away from what the actual policy is going to be. It can be real responses to the very real issues that people are dealing with right now that have creative, new, bold policy responses that are actually going to address some of the, the, the terrible consequences of the pandemic, of economic uncertainty, of austerity, of like this fucking war budget, like all of this stuff 
it requires someone to actually address it. It's like, God, people are like moving all over the country because they can't afford to live where they are anymore or they're being evicted or they're literally losing their homes and becoming houseless. And the houseless problem is expanding. And the response from the federal party is tax credits. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like, of course, of course, people are going to be inspired by someone who's just like, this is a fucking problem. That guy is not doing anything about it. You need someone who's going to like give you freedom. Like, yeah, that sounds like, okay, um, somebody who's actually speaking to me and isn't saying there's going to be a promise that maybe you'll be able to afford your drugs four years down the line. (laughs) It's impossible to listen to you and not think about how the NDP has signed this fucking agreement with the Liberal Party. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, you know, and this this, there are other options. There's other options, folks. Yeah, (laughs) should. It's it's so funny, right? Because the whole argument um, for electoral stability and no Canadian wants to go back to an election or whatever. Right. And it's like. No, no Canadian wants to fucking be subjected to this bullshit that we've been fucking subjected to for the last 30 fucking years. That's what no Canadian wants. It's tiresome to have the same election year over year with the same fucking talking points, the same fucking promises as if there's been no changes to our material conditions. And people don't like that. But now you've got a leadership race here, which is an election that people are like electrified by and they're excited by because of the fucking complete bullshit that that Polly ever is is saying that's not true that's never going to happen that isn't actually the kind of politician that he is and it doesn't matter because people are desperate to hear it and so it's like i mean the ndp is not even it's like not even worth fucking talking about because they fucking have already demonstrated that they're not capable of doing this and so this is where social movements are so important because it's the social movement organizing that does have the capacity to organize people into spaces like this if you can give them some reason to come out. So if you can show people a path to taking down a government, if you can show people a path to a policy coming into effect or whatever, that's all possible. But it just takes organizing. It takes people coming together and it takes actually coming up with those paths to to be able to show to someone that it's not completely desperate and the paths right now for the left are just not at all electoral. Like there's no electoral path that is going to deliver anything that's fucking exciting or what we need. Like there's just no NDP policy like at all that's like fucking talking about these issues. And I mean, then we can talk about where the Greens are at or maybe we can talk about the Communist Party. But like, I mean, folks... <laughs> There's just, there's just, it's just that, that it's not there. It's not there. And so this is like social movements have to be fucking doing all the work right now to, I mean, I keep having this word in my mind in French, decorticate, like to decorticate, to, to, to untangle the fucking lies that we're hearing here and give people the fucking left wing explanation. And I'm sitting here thinking like, like, what is the left wing explanation to the fucking housing crisis? It's like, Can we fucking talk about nationalizing things? Can we talk about like, you know, actually seizing fucking private units from from real estate uh, holding firms or or whatever that are jacking everyone's rents up? Like fucking something, some motherfucking thing, something for fuck's sakes, something that isn't a rent strike, which is 
good and important, but like, you know, that's that's local. That's that's very that's that's going to that's not going to get past a couple of, you know, units in a couple of of buildings. This is a fucking massive problem. Where the fuck is everybody, Sandy? I'm fucking like, oh, I know. Here's the thing, too, though, like uh, the, the other thing about organizing and electoral politics, it's like, let's be very clear that part of what Pierre Polyev is responding to is organizing that it happened through uh, the convoy. And so, you know, the the other um, benefit to organizing on the ground is that the politicians, I mean, if they're smart, will follow you, will follow successful organizing. Where is everyone? I mean, Nora, we've had some discussions about some of the frustrations that we've had um, in, you know, the uh, current state of organizing trends, which we must save for another episode. But there's also (laughs) the reality, there's also the reality that it is, for the people for whom are being harmed the most at this time, it is also most likely the hardest time for them to be organizing. I mean, if you are forced to be taking care of um, of family, uh, of friends, of loved ones who are really struggling through this time, if you are struggling through this time and have had to rearrange your life because of the failures of our government to give a shit about people, it doesn't leave a lot of opportunity, a lot of time uh, for people to organize on the side. And so, of course, it is by design um, in some ways that at this period of time where we are at our most destitute, it it becomes the hardest times for us to organize. Now, there's other stuff that is getting in the way. I think some of, um, you know, like I said, some of the uh, trends in organizing right now. But I do think that a big piece of it is um, is is time and capacity. Uh, to organize right now is really, really hard. I also think that when you don't see people in a in a way that you're used to for like the better part of two years, it like shifts things <laughs> in people. I think it truly changes people, and I think it makes it um, maybe there's like a little bit of a hump to get over and over to in order to come back to organizing in a real way uh, for for those people who are experienced organizers from before. And I also think there's this way that as organizers, you are trying to constantly teach another group of people who might be just a bit younger than you or newer than you. And there may have been a break in that in the last couple of years. And I think there's going to be some consequence to that Mm -hmm. as well. One Thing I want to mention before we wrap up, because I alluded to this, um, here's my big prediction, though, about the conservative race. With Doug Ford likely winning in Ontario in June, that's another prediction. There you go. <laughs> um, Polly Ever's not going to be barely prim- a prediction. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Polly Ever's not going to be prime minister as long as Doug Ford is in power in Ontario because Ontario has a long tradition of voting against itself federally um, for who it voted provincially. And so that's really an interesting part of all of this. And with the Conservatives not actually 
in power, it will be hard for Polyever to keep a lid on his caucus. And so I am very interested to see what they do in the opposition and whether or not anyone tries to shiv him the way that uh, a certain Sheer and a certain O'Toole have been recently shivved. So that's my prediction. And I think people should definitely pay attention to that. 